Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Jason Tucker. This is WP Water Cooler. This is episode number 93. We're getting really close to 100, aren't we, folks? Yes, we are. Let's. Today we're going to be talking about uh, things you think about before going getting into the WordPress theming business. Um, we're going to kind of do this as a series here, so we're going to um, kind of spread this out a little bit since we typically end up with only 30 minutes worth of content. Hopefully we'll end up with 90 minutes worth of content with this one. Let's go around the room here real quick, get everyone introduced. We're going to go on the alphabetic order with Carrie. Hello, I am Carrie Dills over at CarrieDills.com. I blog irregularly and have a couple of themes out in the marketplace. Nice. Chris, what about you? Hey well, guys, I'm Chris Wallace. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's a fine. Chris Wallace, you know, too, many, too many Chris's in the room. Go ahead, um, Chris Wallace. All right. Uh, I'm Chris Wallace. I'm a co-founder over at UpThemes, and I run a um, consulting shop called uh, Lyft as well. How about you, Mr. Lima? Well, just so we're clear, L starts before W, so he <laughs> jumped in front of me. When you said alpha order, I, I was paying attention. But what I did want to highlight is that Carrie Dills is also the host of another WordPress podcast called Genesis Office Hours. And y you know that we love the Dradcast, but she has more views on Office Hours than even the Dradcast, and she's only been doing this a set of weeks. So, um, you know, at, I don't know. At, like, if we block my mom's IP address, those numbers might not come out. So <laughs> it might come down. Yeah, I I hear it's Bill Erickson watching all the time and hitting refresh. So now, how um, do I do that filter? That's that's right, exactly. That's exactly what it is. All right. Other than that, my name is Chris Summa. I do blog over at chrissummer.com, and uh, I run the North County San Diego WordPress Meetup. Awesome, Nick. Tell us about yourself. Uh, my name is Nick Haskins. I'm a developer uh, and founder of Aesop Interactive, and we build Aesop Story Engine. You know, don't, cool. don't forget to mention you have geese and you're starting a farm. you got to throw that there. Yeah, we have geese, farm, <laughs> lots of farm animals. <laughs> Keeps us very busy. What about you, Steve? You're not a stranger to farm animals. <laughs> wow. I'm still thinking I'm the founder. Wow. Uh, I am the founder of Seek Interactive, and I run the OC WordPress meetup. Uh, everybody <laughs> muted themselves all of a sudden. <laughs> it was Steve's, Steve's the birthday boy. i got to give him some stuff. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> How about you, Suzette? Hello, everybody. I'm Suzette, and I'm the WordPress evangelist over at Media Temple, and I host a podcast called WP Unicorn Project, and we're going to be talking with David Bissett about WPArmchair.com next time on uh, oh. the 10th of July. Oh, that's awesome. i got to watch that one. I love his site. Yeah. I'm Jason Tucker. You can find me on Twitter, Jason Tucker, and I also blog about video and audio at WPmedia.pro. So, everyone's muted. This is going to be scary. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about um, starting starting a WordPress theme business. Um, you know, this is one of those kind of one of those topics where you have people who they they build websites, but they build them using custom themes, and then they they take that custom thing and theme and say, you know, I could really build this into a product. And so what's that product like, and how do you start with that product? And, you know, we have two folks on here that have done that, and I'm kind of curious where you started out with it and how did you go about it. It's actually three because Carrie has done it too. Oh, so. three. Carrie. But Chris, 
Terry and Nick have all done it. Why don't Why don't we start? I know that I I wrote a series of articles about the theme space in the last couple of weeks, and I know that Chris replied to some of them. And one of the ones that I thought was really well articulated was he started talking about the cost of getting into this, right? And uh, so, Chris, why don't you tell us a little about that? How, what's your take on the cost of getting started? Because some people just don't think about it that way. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it, for me, I mean, I'm a designer-developer hybrid, so, um, you know, m my cost is a little different than most people's, and I think it's one thing that really needs to be considered because, you know, not a lot of people have the skills to not only... Uh, design a theme and then build a theme and then also write about their themes and how they work and market them um, and do all of those things that really go along with just designing a WordPress theme or having an idea. Uh, I think there are a lot of people out there that they just think, you know, oh, well, I, you know, I, I know how to code a WordPress theme. I should start selling them. Um, and really, that's not the best idea if, you know, your skill set really is limited to just development. Um, you know, I recommend really um, figuring out like what you want to do with a WordPress theme and who it's going to help. First of all, I mean, like how how do you determine um, your market and, and, and what your theme's actually for? Um, so th I mean, that's kind of the first step. Um, Not I mean, to mention all the additional work that you need to do with a theme to make it ready for a public consumption. Right. Like totally. people build the theme for their client, and they're like, "Oh, I'm going to release this to make a million dollars off it." It doesn't work that way at all. You need so, to. There's uh, a lot of work that needs to be done. So wait, wait, Chris, you're telling me I should plan? I know, Steve. It sounds so counterintuitive to the wet, rest incredible. of the stuff. Huh. We do. It, yeah, Steve's Steve's about to bounce off the show. Um, <laughs> talking talking about that, Chris, you mentioned you need to know how to market and everything else. Carrie. Uh, you wrote a really great article about some lessons learned between two different themes that you wrote, right? I mean, you released two different commercial themes, and yeah. and both of those experiences were pretty different from each other. Do you want to tell us some about that? Sure. So, bottom line, the first theme I did, it was mostly to scratch my own itch and just go through the process of uh, creating a theme, putting it out to the marketplace, and doing what Suzette, uh, Suzette talked about, and that's preparing, the things you do to prepare a theme uh, for public release are very different than how you prep a theme for a client. Um, at any rate, one of the mistakes I made with that one was not talking about it beforehand or preparing my audience that that was coming. Uh, and so when it came out, my, I mean, my marketing strategy was just absolutely terrible. I, I improved on that with the, my second theme iteration, uh, but still, to Chris's point, I'm I am a developer-designer hybrid, but, you know, marketing and sales is not really where I, uh, you know, come in strong. So it's, I'm not a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> is that what well, I think one of the big things, I think one of the big things is understanding that there are hard costs. You know, if you're, if you're not able to do one of those phases, um, you literally, you have to, you have to hire somebody or, or, you know, find a company that can help you with that. And whether it's marketing or design or something, I mean, you know that you're not the strongest in certain areas. So building themes, you know, as, as an idea, like, it sounds great. Um, but you have to start thinking about, okay, so what's it going to cost me per theme um, so that you can actually decide, like, hey, this is what it's going to cost me. This is how much I can, I think I can make off of it. And, and you sort of have to start looking at all the expenses, everything that goes into it beforehand, um, as well as ongoing costs to, to support it down the road as well. 
And one of the ways one of the ways that you can mitigate that and actually get that return on your investment is if you is if you focus on a particular group of people when you're selling a theme, right? If you if you specialize rather than just making a general purpose business theme, a general purpose portfolio theme. And Nick has created an engine that really is for storytellers, uh, which is another, you know, another segment of the audience. Nick, you want to tell us how that's been going? Yeah, so that's that's been going really well. It started as this uh, kind of experiment last year and has kind of snowballed into its own uh, its own private ecosystem, so to speak. You know, it, um, as the themes and, and plugins kind of snowballing off the main story storytelling engine, which is free. So uh, it's a nice little ecosystem that has kind of devolved evolved from the whole thing unexpectedly. <laughs> it was not planned. I I, I know you. <laughs> You guys like to plan, but I I don't like to I don't really plan, and if I do, it sometimes doesn't happen. So uh, a lot of what I do is just very much gut and and kind of just going with it. <laughs> what made you, you take that extra step? Nick, Nick, you have both a theme, you have you have a plugin, and then you have a series of themes for that plugin. How how are you deciding what goes into which? The main goal is to keep uh, the functionality in two plugins. So we want people, the theme is essentially just a campaign. So we want people to be able to switch themes, um, keep the same content, everything is kept strictly the same, and just you basically just get a new paint job. So the main thing is, is to keep them short on options. They only have three, four, or five options, which cuts down on support. We really hardly get any, any support on the themes. It's more uh, you know questions on the story engine. So. Um, keeping the functionality in the plugins and keeping the options down and the themes has really has really worked well so far as kind of keeping it simple. Cool. That's really cool. And then you did a you did a fundraising campaign to uh, to get started on or to finish out the the plugin. Do you do you have a sense of how much the plugin totally cost all in? Oh that <laughs> It would, yeah. That's hard to say. Uh, let me let me change it up. Yeah, no, no, no need to put you on the spot. But here's one thing I I'm interested in because I started asking some other people, um, and I'm guessing that you guys would all answer the same way. Though I I'd love to be, uh, I'd love to be wrong here. But do any of you who've built products for the current you know space and particularly we're talking about themes, do any of you keep meticulous track? of all of the costs related to the development of support of and launching of said themes? Sure do not. Uh, no. The, <laughs> now some of the hard costs obviously are easy to track, right, because you've got receipts for those, but the intangibles of the time that you've spent, um, you know, you're not punching a clock every time you sit down and open up an editor or, or even if you're just sitting and, and you know, mentally processing through uh, what your product is going to be. Um, but I have a feeling, you you asked me that question, Chris, and I gave you a pitiful answer, and I've, I've thought quite a bit more about it since then. And, uh, you know, it's it's a lot of time. A quarter's worth of effort is probably the answer. You know, I... Are you saying that, um, that they should track this as if they're, like, as if they're working with a client and their client is just them? Uh, yeah, yeah, as if they're uh, kind of running some sort of business or something. Yeah. No. Here's, here's the here's the crazy thing, right? 
Um, I asked I asked five people without any judgment. I just asked the question: Do you know how much it costs in time and effort to build your theme? Right? And these were these are not like ragtag people. These are like really solid, serious, awesome people. And they all said the same thing, which was, I kept track of some things. I didn't keep track of all the things. And and I think that's the nature of how it starts because when you start working on a theme, you're hopeful, you're excited, you think this is going to be cool. You throw a little bit of time here, you throw a little bit of time there, and it doesn't feel like a huge overwhelming thing. And people track some of that. They're like, oh yeah, I did three hours this week, I did five hours here. But over time, it starts becoming a bigger thing. And then in support, and then and eventually you start losing track of all of the total costs you know, of, of said theme, right? And yeah, I well, think that's that, one of the big things, yeah, that's one of the big things that, um, you know, that we have trouble with at UpThemes is we actually split our time between client projects and then, then product work. And so you kind of take the client work and you, you put a premium on, you know, price on that. And then the money that we have from that, you know, goes into product work kind of in our extra time uh, where we're not doing client work. And so you have to kind of find a balance where, you're actually making money back on the product side of things. Um, and with WordPress themes, it's all about the snowball, right? So you, you've got this, this snowball that's going down a hill, and it gets bigger and bigger with the more themes that you release. And this is something that I think David Perel over at Obox Themes talked about was essentially, you know, you have to get on a good release schedule and be releasing themes all the time, or the, the alternative to that is if you have one theme, you really have to market the heck out of it. Um, to get any traction, similar to like a Genesis framework, where that's that's more than just a simple blog style WordPress theme, right? Um, it, it's more of a foundation for your entire business, and so you know, making sure that you can really put in time and effort into constantly releasing themes and constantly marketing themes, um, really, it's just a snowball effect. It just keeps you, um, you know, going and getting bigger and bigger over time. Yeah, and yet. Do you have? Do you guys keep a, a a running total of all the minutes and hours spent per theme on initial development, secondary and tertiary releases, uh, support? Do you, do you guys track all that? We use Harvest for things, so we actually just started recently tracking everything related to themes. Um, for a while, we were just tracking client work, and then basically taking our spare time and putting it into product work. Um, we weren't tracking the product work as, as well as I would have liked, uh, but you know that's something that we've gotten uh, kind of a better process with now, and have really started to hone in and, and say on, on a very detailed level, okay, so what are we actually putting into the products? Because when you have client work, I mean, that sort of takes a priority, right? And it takes a precedent, and, and your product work can sometimes take a backseat to that. And so really understanding like. Okay, so we want to release this theme on a on you know kind of a schedule, right? Like you're running a business, like Chris said, um, and so we have to really hone hone in and, and think. Okay, so we want to release it on this date. How much time is that going to take? How much time do we have available? Um, you know, and then kind of matching up from there. Like, what did we actually spend on it if we hit our release date? Um, what should we have spent on it if we didn't hit our release date? And that kind of informs like the whole process, right? Is if a theme's not going to be worth it. To bring it to market, um, you know, or should we really invest the time in building this this product that we really want to dedicate that amount of time and effort into? Um, so yeah. 
Well, no. that's a discipline. That's a discipline in itself. I mean, you you know you've you said something important is that you're you're juggling client work with product work. You have to treat those products as clients, right? They exactly. are internal clients, and that cha that'll change your mentality around the way you work on those things. One of the things we do um, with my teams is we actually track the time down to the 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 time investment down to the feature, um, and so we can then track tickets back to the feature and we can have a sense of return on investment not just at the product level but at the feature level and the reason that becomes really useful is because you always end up in a room with someone who's gonna tell you that this one feature is like the must-have that you gotta you know you gotta put like you that way you did it over on that product you gotta do it on this product or you know everybody's pitching kind of this idea without any data, right? And it's beautiful to come back to them with data and say, um, actually, just to let you know, that product was, and, and of course this comes to instrumentation too, but that product was, uh, it took us, you know, 63 hours to build. We've had more tickets on it than any other, uh, you know, feature by a factor of 3x. And on top of that, um, it's only used, even though we have that tremendous amount of ticket load on it, it's only used by less than 10% of the total customer base, right? And and when you have that material, serious, data-driven conversation, I can turn to someone and say, I don't think we're going to invest in that again, right? Like, I don't think we're going to do that again. And and it's no longer he said, she said. It's no longer anecdotal. Well, I talk to someone who loves it. You're like, that's great. Um that that's that's neither here nor there, right? Uh, but it it takes work, right? Because you do have to treat your products like clients. You got to treat them um, with as much tracking as you do anything else, uh, because you have to expect that at some point you're going to have to run the numbers on it, right? And be able to talk about it intelligently and say, hey, this was worth it or this wasn't worth it. Um, I know in reading Carrie's articles, you know she highlighted one of these products hasn't sold very much. And here's another product that has sold a lot, but one of the dynamics in that second release, if I was right, Carrie, was that you partnered up with someone who had a lot of rich expertise in the domain, right? And so, if if that helps you, if you if you discover here's a formula, there's better sales, there's easier marketing, the copy is easier written because there's someone who's an expert who knows it, um, then you say, okay, this paid off, this strategy, these set of tactics paid off so I should do it for the next one, right, and for the next one, exactly. which is very different than just guessing all over the place, right? Yeah, exactly. And, the, you know, the other big factor to, to think of before you dive into saying, I want to uh, throw some themes out into the marketplace and become an overnight millionaire uh, is to think through what your support offering is going to be. Um, that is, you can chew into all of your profits in a quick hurry if you don't have a good support model set up. Um, I don't. Nick, how does your do you get very many support requests, or what's your ticketing system or way of handling? Um, I I'm not a very good customer support person at all. I'm very brisk personality, so <laughs> luckily I have a person that does the <laughs> support for me. She's very good at her job. And I, I would say we get maybe three to five tickets a week. Um, um, and most of them are asking questions about how the, the story engine works as opposed to how the theme works. Um, so it, it, it's, it's been pretty awesome so far. But then again, those people who I've asked for are, of course, 
um, getting a lot of that support. So it's kind of like the 20% of people who are using it is using the most of the support. So that's still holding true even though we get very little support tickets. And I think it's excellent that you've identified your strengths and weaknesses, right? I mean, support is critical in these things, and it can make or break your company. If you've got the yeah. wrong person doing support, you're gonna you, you're gonna die pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, you really will. <laughs> so, is there a way, just throwing this out there, a way that you can handle pricing where the burden of cost falls to the people who most need support, and not just the average user that is never even going to shoot you a single question. There, there are some models. Um, the, the token model is the most common of that approach, where um, you know you grant you grant someone a certain set of tokens for support, and then uh, after they use those up, the rest of the people who need support pay to get more tokens to use for support. Um, it's worked in certain spaces. I haven't seen it successfully work in the WordPress ecosystem, but that's also a function of how you manage it. So I know that um, Thomas tried to do it with Soliloquy. Uh, he and I had had a conversation, and I, I, I mentioned it. He, I think he had it already in mind, so it wasn't my doing, but he, we talked it through, and I'm like, yeah, I've, se I've seen it work. I, I particularly saw it work very well for a hosting company, um, which has a similar dynamic where you have a lot of people who use a hosting company without touching any support for years, and then you have some people who call every day, right? And uh, so I watched a company do the support token uh, approach there, and it worked really well. Um, but the, the difference was in that, with that group, they started from the beginning that way. Right, and Thomas was in the middle of making changes, and so every time you change the cost basis of how you're doing support, there's going to be a uh, initial emotional response that says you're changing things on me, and you fear that it's going to be more expensive. Right, everyone imagines I'm going to need more support, so I'm going to have to buy more tokens. When in fact, many people weren't submitting tickets to Soliloquy at the time. Um, so I'd, I'd be curious I, to know how many of those tokens are actually used. You know. Yeah. Yeah, so in, in his early stats, and again, I, he has the better data of it, but if I remember correctly, in his early stats, most of the people who were customers were actually using zero to one support tickets ever, like in the lifetime of the product. They would get the product, they would download it, go to install it, and have maybe one question, and then that was it. They were good to go. But there was a small group of people that were calling all the time, right? And that's where the token system is effective, right? But it's effective if you do it at the onset because when you shift to it, those people who are calling all the time are definitely going to feel taxed and, and they're going to have something to say about it, right? Um, so it's hard to change behavior after you've already got an accepted behavior, uh, which suggests that you want to think through you know, how to do this before you get started, which is the point of the show, right? What are the things you're supposed to think about before you get started? Um, I, I know another another question people have rolling around their heads is, can I release a theme without any support, right? Would there be people who would buy my theme if I didn't have to charge for support? Um, and I'd love to hear what, you know, what some of you think about it. I, I've written about it. I have my own thoughts, but this is the time for you guys to share, so. Yeah. I, I think that if you, um, you know, you're talking about the token model, um, I think if you're going that approach with it and, and you decide... Uh, to, to actually release the theme for free, 
I think that it would work in that scenario. However, I don't know that if you release a theme that actually costs money, that people would receive that well. Um, you know, I've, I've seen on Theme Forest that you know you can offer support or you cannot offer uh, support, and you know some people do. Most uh, most people do really. Some people don't, uh, which I haven't really seen a good theme that sells well that did not come with support. Um, so that's important to know. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that if you're selling something, I think that you're going to get support questions regardless. And quite honestly, you're just going to piss a lot of people off if you're selling something and there's just nothing, like they can't even ask you a question, a simple question. Yeah. Yeah. What's, yeah, what's I your... agree with that. The only time I can think of buying an unsupported product is if I just was so curious about it and wanted to take it apart and look at the guts and understand what the developer was doing. Uh, but other than that, yeah, if you want to know that you can get in touch and ask a question if you need to. Yeah, makes sense. Well, then you have those those the model where they'll end up having a, a support forum where you know their peers who are their customers are the ones that are kind of talking amongst one another as well, which that's a whole totally different you know kind of ball of wax there. Yeah, well, and the and the hardest part of selling a theme without without support is that people will still want support, right? Like that doesn't change just because you write text on the screen that says this is a product without support. When when you finally when the, you know when when they finally show up and say I I know but I'm not talking about big support I have little support I have this little question how how do I get my theme how do I get my logo to fit in your little tiny space and you go uh, I don't understand what you don't understand about this is no support you end up looking like a jerk right and so then what happens right I, they go and they write commentary everywhere and blog posts and go to one star you and they do everything they can because they're annoyed and you just come across looking like a jerk so it becomes very difficult to manage brand even if you're trying to manage expectations to say you know but I told you up front they're like yeah but this was a stupid simple question you took more time replying to me about how you're not gonna support me than if you just said go here and upload it here, right? And so it, it's, it's like a no-win for me. I, I can't imagine it working. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to break up the awkward silence for a moment. Well, then, then you end up with, you, you also end up with your customers where they'll just say, you know what, I'm just going to go start my own support thing off on the side here, and I'm going to go on Twitter, and I'm just going to talk a little bit about it, or I'm going to go on Facebook, some Facebook group or whatever, and talk about it there. Or, you know, there's all sorts of other places that they could start bad, bad, either bad-mouthing you or what have I, you just to start talking about Better to keep it, it within your control. Yeah. I, I think what we ought to do is spin up a new company that just does support for Aveda, Right, and 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 just say, look, you get one year support for like seventy-five bucks, and see if the people who were silly enough to spend that much money on Aveda in the first place would spend it on support outside of the company that created Aveda, because that might be money, right? Or it might be a saying. lot of really busy, busy, busy work. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd I'd route them all to Jason Tucker, but. Well, I think, the, I think the key thing to to think about with themes, and and when you're building a plugin, like this, it's a totally different ballgame, um, because you're catering to a market usually that's developers um, that are going to be using your plugin in different ways. 
Um, but I think when you're talking about just a basic WordPress theme, you know, you want to you want to eliminate the need for support. You want to make it as easy to use as possible. Um, there are going to be people that come into your uh, into your marketplace. They buy something from you, and they may not know a lot about WordPress. They may just know that they want to use it because it's free, and that they need a theme, and that's it. And so they may have basic questions like, how do you? Um, Carrie's drawing on herself there. <laughs> what that is? Who's cat eyes? What is that? <laughs> um, no idea. <laughs> you just take me off my train of thought, but that's. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that you, you really want to get to a point where you don't have to, um, you know, like as a user, you don't have to go find all this documentation and read through it and figure out how big the logo is supposed to be and stuff like that. Like it should just work for the most part, unless you're doing something particularly, uh, you know, developer-y. Like most users should not require support ever. Um, yeah. And so that's kind of the philosophy that we have is to eliminate that from, from the customer's mind. The problem is that it it feels that way when you write the, the theme, right? You write a theme and you're like, there is no way that someone's going to need any support on this theme, right? And then you get the phone call and they're like, so I went to upload my logo and it's not working. And, and you're like, right. how is it not working? Like, did you hit the upload button? No, it tells me I can't upload the file. Well, I'm on a Windows it, server. It tells you. It tells you you can't upload. File. Well, it's a bitmap file. It's a bitmap file that's also a video. Like it's a video, but I renamed it to bitmap, and then I thought it would upload. And you're like, right? And and we call that an edge case. Yeah. 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 Except yeah. that there's a. It's a pretty wide edge in the uh, in the WordPress ecosystem sometimes, right? Sure. Don't ever let Steve buy one of your products. And on that note. <laughs> Let's, let's uh, finish that up here today. Um, thank Jerry, you very much beautiful. for all of you folks for being on. <laughs> um, uh, I want to thank you. I want to thank you a lot to uh, to the folks that are on Stitcher that have been uh, listening to us uh, via audio, and we also do a lot of video stuff on YouTube. So make sure you go over to YouTube, click on the links there to subscribe and like us. And uh, if you want to give us a five star review on iTunes, that'd be awesome too. Thank you all for being on the show. Talk to you later. Bye bye. Bye.